Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 16, and in particular at verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and pray that uh, tonight as we look at uh, this idea that um, your word would speak, um, you've impressed upon me the need to um, cover this topic and to stay here a little while and I pray that it would be um, not just my words but your word that does its work. I pray that what I say would be in submission to and be able to be used by your Holy Spirit in each of our lives and hearts, and that we would be changed for the better because we are here in your house tonight. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I've titled tonight's message, Dissatisfied Until Perfection. After preaching the last time I was um, up here a month or so ago, where we talked about going beyond perfection, I was just struck with the idea that so each one of the things in that message could be a message themselves. So hopefully this message is shorter because it's just one of those five points that we we're going to go through. But I do want us to get in the frame of mind that uh, the, the scripture, the text gives us. In, ch- in chapter 3, uh, toward the beginning of the chapter, Paul warns the Philippian believers about uh, the circumcision or the concision. Probably they were Judaizers. He gives his own pedigree. He talks about how he was uh, of the tribe of Gen- Benjamin, of the Hebrew of Hebrews, and, and so, so many things that he had accomplished in his life as a Jewish man, a Pharisee, um, blameless uh, before the law. And then he tells that all that counts is nothing. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness. He tells what he gained in Christ. He was found in Christ, not with his own righteousness, which is the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. He says, I gained righteousness, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And immediately after that, as we saw the last time I spoke, he assures the Philippians that he had not yet attained. In verse... um, um, Verse 11 says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, and then in verse 12, not as though I had already attained. He says, I'm, either we're already perfect. 
He says, I'm not perfect. It's possible uh, these teachings were found in other places, so it's possible it was here also that the Judaizers and the Gnostics that were prevalent in the time that the, of the churches that were in existence during the writing of the Bible, they both claimed some type of perfection that you could get to the point where you were perfect. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have to worry about a thing. I'm perfect. But uh, we're not there. Paul says, not me. I'm a sinner. Remember 1 Timothy 1.15? This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Peter also exhorts us to grow, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, um, Paul explains that, and then he says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Let us be thus minded. We should be minded um, the way Paul was. We shouldn't just follow his example. We can follow example, but he's told us some things. He's exhorting us to live a certain way, and um, it's for all of us. He says, be ye followers of me in 1 Corinthians, even as I also am of Christ. Be minded this way. And he says in verse 12, not as though I'd already attained, either we're already perfect, but I follow after. He had a dissatisfaction. I'm not where I should be. I follow after, if that I might apprehend. And then he's devoted. Verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to apprehend, to have apprehended. He says that again. But this one thing I do. So he has, there's some devotion there. And then he's pointed in a certain direction. I count not myself uh, forgetting those things that are behind. So he's not looking back. Forgetting the things of the past and reaching forth unto those things that are before. He has some direction in his life. And then some determination. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward that. I press toward the mark for the high calling of God. And what is that high calling of God but to be conformed to the image of His Son? Romans 8.29 tells us that for whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So if we believed on Christ, we're predestined. And we're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And Paul was determined to press on toward that high calling. And then he notes that if we're going to, uh, because we have not gotten to be perfect yet, we need discipline. Let's walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. The way that we've gotten here is the way we need to keep going with the same mind as everyone else. There's a, we talked about how there's a, almost a perpetual cycle. And I don't think it's, but it's not like one thing and then the next. We just keep working, and as we work and grow, we realize that there's more work and growth to be done. So as I was thinking about being dissatisfied, lots of verses came to my mind. Paul says, not as though I'd already attained, either we're already perfect, but I follow after. He says, I'm going after, I want that. I'm dissatisfied with where I am. But other verses come to mind Like Paul, just in the next chapter, in verse 11 and 12, says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. 
I know both how to be abased and how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So he's learned contentment. In, ver- in To Timothy, he writes in ver- chapter 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, raiment let us be therewith content. In Hebrews 13, the Bible says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So there's a certain sense in in which we ought to be content. It seems to me that that, that in general, maybe not every single thing, but in general, this contentment has to do with external things. Has to do with the care of our bodies. Has to do with the filling of our bellies and and the clothing uh, and that. Um, There's... But there's a disc, there's, and we should be content. Knowing Christ gives us a contentment, gives us a satisfaction. I also thought of this song, and I'm going to read it. All my life long, all my life I had a longing for a drink from some clear spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Feeding on the husk around me, Till my strength was almost gone, longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Poor I was, and sought for riches, something that would satisfy, but the dust I gathered round me only mocked my soul's sad cry. Well of water, ever springing bread of life, so rich and free, untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. Hallelujah. I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings. Through his blood, I now am saved. And so there's a sense in which we should be satisfied. We should be fulfilled in Christ. There's another sense in which we should not live a self-satisfied, a completely unmotivated Christian life. Thinking back to that, the things of this earth, Jesus said, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, don't worry, right? Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that ye have need of these things. So he says, be content. You'll be okay. But then the next sentence says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. So there's a sense in which we're not, we're to be satisfied, we're to be content. And on the other side of that, there's we're to be not content. We're to be seeking. We should be going after it and keep going after it. And that is um, a godly kind of discontentment. Philippians 3.12 again. Not as though I had already attained. Either we're already perfect. I'm, Paul says, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I follow after. 
if that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. There's nothing wrong with remembering the past. But there is something wrong with living in the past. We can look back and remember what God did for us, but if that's the only thing He's done for us, we can remember the great days of zealous service to the Lord in the past, but if there's no more service to the Lord now, we can become like those believers in Sardis. Jesus said to them, I know your works, that you have a name, that you live, but you're dead. So we, don't, we shouldn't be so content that we're dead. I want to talk for just a few minutes about being dissatisfied. Dissatisfied until perfection. First off, we'll never be at perfection here on this earth. So, I'm exhorting us to a life of continual dissatisfaction. A life of continual contentment with what the Lord's provided for us, but a continual following after dissatisfaction. He says, I follow after says, it's not as though I've already attained. Either we're already perfect. I'm not yet where I ought to be. Think about how old Paul was when he wrote these words. He was older than me, I believe. I don't know exactly. We, the, the, the Bible doesn't spell out years and, and all that. But I think most, uh, most of us, if we just put a little bit of thought into it, a adding up years and things that happen. We might guess that Paul has about been saved for about 30 years. He's been saved for 30 years. Here's a man that's been saved for 30 years and says, I haven't got it all down yet. I, I'm not perfect. I'm not, I'm not to that place of final maturity. That's what perfection is. It's not, I'm not, I'm not, where I ought to be yet. Multitudes saved. He evangelized, traveled, as we know, to different cities, established churches, ordained pastors in all these places. Multitudes saved. Multitudes serving God. But he says, I'm not where I need to be yet. I'm not there. (laughs) I think it was uh, chronologically before this, but not that much before this. Paul, just like all of us, was still dealing with Romans chapter 7. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Can you cry with Paul in verse 24? O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I'm not there yet. Any of us that thinks that we're there, we have a problem We ought to be dissatisfied. We ought to be pressing on. We ought to be following after. He says, I haven't already attained. I haven't already grasped it. I haven't already obtained it. Either we're already perfect. I haven't reached a point of maturity. He says it twice. It's not like he just, I haven't really made it yet. No, I haven't made it yet, and I haven't got there yet. He says it twice. He's, He's emphasizing this. We might say, but don't, you just said, don't, don't you have all those things that mentioned, that you mentioned in the previous verses? 
Yes, we do. We have knowledge of Christ. Paul could say, yeah. I mean, he had knowledge of Christ, but then in 1 Corinthians, he says, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. I want to know more. I know, but I want to know more. Don't you have Christ's righteousness? Yes. Put to my account, I do, because of faith in Christ. But, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And there he includes himself, doesn't he? What he says, let us. Let us cleanse ourselves. Well, I have Christ's righteousness, but man, I still need to cleanse myself. I still need to work at cleaning that up, clean out the flesh, the filthiness, the filthy spirit, perfecting holiness. Yeah, I have Christ's righteousness, but I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Don't you know the power of Christ? Oh, I have the power of Christ, but I don't have it so perfectly that I never sin. Paul said, that's, God's put a thorn in my flesh. Put a thorn in my flesh and allowed me to be debilitated by it so that my ego doesn't get too, too, too prideful. I had, he had me write that down so you all would know that. If I didn't have that thorn in the flesh, my ego would run away with me because of my many revelations. So not perfectly. I don't know how to work with the Spirit of God, the power of Christ, the way I ought to. Don't you have fellowship with Christ? Yeah. Yeah. But it's not perfect fellowship. I don't even know how to pray as I ought. I need the Spirit of God to just speak for me. Make intercession for me with groanings that can't be uttered. Because I don't, I don't have perfect fellowship like He does with the Father. Yes, the Holy Spirit dwells within me. But I'm waiting for the Savior who will transform my body out of this state and into a glorious body. I haven't attained. That's yet to come. In a few verses, he says, Our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior. Christ said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now we can explain that a lot of ways. We can say, well, he didn't really mean what we think about perfect. And, he, and maybe he didn't. But perfect means complete, mature. And, and I'm completely mature. And each one of you, at least your older ones, know I'm not. And the younger ones probably know I'm not, too. But none of us are completely mature. And so, in order to obey Christ here, we must always recognize that we're not where we ought to be yet. One day, oh glorious day, one day we'll shed this body, we'll shed this earth, we'll be with him. We don't even, we can't even imagine the glory that will be, but not until then. And it's not, I'm not saying this to just give up and say, well, I can't do it anyway. I'll just be content with my sorry state. No, I haven't attained. I follow after. In Ephesians, Paul said, and I mentioned this before, till we all come in the unity of the flesh and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We, a, a perfect man. 
and completely like Christ. We'll never be complete. Do we have portions of Christ, living likeness to Christ? Yes. But we're not congruent with Christ. We're similar, but not completely like Him. When we get to the point where we are self-satisfied, we're in trouble. Now, a lot of times that comes from comparing ourselves to the wrong person. We look at our peers. We look at our brother or sister. You know, when you're the oldest, you're, you know, you're at the top. And all those younger ones are like, you know, they got a long way to go. I know just how to handle the household or whatever. Siblings, classmates, maybe you're the one that almost everybody in the class looks to to get a laugh at the wrong time or whatever. You're, you're, others our own age. We can, we can look around at our peers, our parents, and we can say, well, my parents were saved later in life. They don't know the Bible like I do. And we can just be very self-satisfied, smugly self-satisfied. But we're in trouble there. Um, we can look at our pastors, and, and sometimes, and I mentioned this before, but sometimes pastors are up telling you what's right all the time. We get this weird idea in our mind that they think they're perfect. And you you figured out that they're, that they're not. And so, well, he's not perfect. So... I must be okay. And, you know, when I say this that way, I think first of teenagers, just because teenagers, their brains are finally in the spot where they're making connections and they see faults. But, you know, teenagers plus 20 and teenagers plus 30 and teenagers plus 40, we think that way too. We get there, we're like, oh yeah. he. If he does that, I can do this. I can satisfied with myself. We shouldn't be, we can't be satisfied with ourselves. We should be dissatisfied. There should be a godly dissatisfaction. And because of that, we should press on, follow after. Paul says, um, in our verse, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. It's interesting that that word, uh, follow, he uses earlier in verse six. In verse 6, look back at verse 6. He's talking about his life before salvation. And he says, I was, uh, that's verse 5. Verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. The word persecuting is the same word as follow. So remember Paul? When he's persecuting the church, he sought them out. He went throughout the city, into the synagogue, hailing, pulling people out of there, putting them into prison. He was looking, looking. Finally, he said, I found everything here. Goes to the chief priest, says, give me some papers so I can go up to Damascus. He was not satisfied till he'd found every Christian. But now he says, I'm not satisfied until I've made it there. The same word I follow after. It was... Not just like following afar off. It was a pursuing, pursuing, pressing on, following after. As I was thinking about this, I thought of the verse in the Psalms. 
in Psalm 42, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. I don't know that it's an exact comparison, but I think that this similar spirit is there. We should be panting, following after God, and not satisfied with where we are. We want to press on until the goal is obtained. So he says, um, he says, I'm not where I ought to be. I'm not yet where I ought to be. I'm following after. And I'm following after what? I'm following after that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So that phrase just, um, I believe, means that he's following after what he was saved for. Why was he saved? Romans 8.28 says, Know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God saved me so that I could be like Christ. God saved Paul so that he could be like Christ. God saved you so that you could be like Christ. God saved each every single person he saved, he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. Interestingly, we talked about being conformed be not conformed to this world in our Sunday school lesson this morning. But Christ saved us to be conformed or God saved us to be conformed to the image of his son. And Paul said, I've made that my own life goal. And that should be each of our life goal. Well, it's God's goal for us. He's predestined us to that. He's, he wanted us to be conformed to His Son, the image of His Son. But sometimes we don't press toward that. We're, we're, we're like, eh, I could do this. If I do this way, I'll convince myself that this is good enough. But it's not the way of the Bible. It's not the way of Paul. And Paul is not just saying, follow my example. He's saying, this is the way we should be thinking. I'm not, I'm not where I ought to be. I'm following after, and I'm following after that. I'm following after what I was saved for. And that is to be like Christ. I'll be dissatisfied. We ought to be dissatisfied until we've been conformed into the image of Christ. I don't know if the song is in our hymn book. Um, but I looked up the words, Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. This is my constant longing in prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures, Jesus, thy perfect likeness, to wear. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion. Are you full of compassion? Wow. Loving, forgiving, tender, kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering sinner to find. Oh, to be like thee, lowly in spirit. Holy, harmless, patient, brave, meekly enduring, cruel reproaches. Many of us don't want any reproaches. We'd much rather look like the world than bear the reproach of Christ. 
meekly enduring cruel reproaches, willing to suffer others to save. Oh, to be like thee, Lord, I'm coming now to receive the anointing divine. All that I am and have I'm bringing. Lord, from this moment all shall be thine. Oh, to be like thee. While I'm pleading, pour out thy spirit, fill with thy love. Make me a temple meet for thy dwelling. Fit me for life and heaven above. Oh, to be like thee. Blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art, come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, amp thine own image deep on my heart. As I was reading, uh, studying for this, uh, a past, an, an author, a pastor said something to this effect. He said, the more, the more you mature, remember we're, we're, we're going toward maturity, perfect, complete maturity, the more, I don't want to discourage you, but the more you mature, the more you realize how much further there is to mature. It's funny that I read that because it, it, I've been saying that, uh, a corollary to that for 10 or 15 years in my, in my education class. Um, I say, the more you know, the more you know how much you don't know. There's an idea, and I think it's worth talking about because I think it's applicable there's an idea called provincialism. If somebody's a provincial, they think they know everything, and yet they know very little. Um, years ago, I was not there, so I'll probably not get the story exactly clear, but hopefully this will be clear enough. Years ago, my dad was able to go on a mission trip. It might have been his first mission trip to Suriname. Old-timers will remember Brother Daryl Champlin. And he, so my dad went with Brother... Uh, missionary in Suriname, he went to um, the capital city, drove out to their compound, and from there, they got in a motorboat and went into the bush, and I believe from there, they got into a, ro- a, a canoe, went further into the bush, and there, there was a special meeting going to take place, um, and Brother Champlin was very influential among the tribes and villages of uh, Sir of the Bush. And so he was asked to be there. As it turned out, um, when they got there, somebody had just recently died. And so his casket, they, they had this meeting with all the important people from wherever, other villages or in the village or whatever, and my dad happened to be there with, he was along for the ride with um, a missionary Champlin. So they're there, and, and probably from here to the piano, over by where the piano is, was a casket. Now the casket was not sitting level, level. it was sitting kind of off, you know, not level. But that was on purpose, because the body fluids of the body inside there, that way the body fluids could kind of leak out. You know, hey, we're in the, the captain, the captain of the village. You could tell he was a captain. He had a hat just like I got from Cedar Point that he wore. He had his ragged t-shirt, some shorts, and a cane, and a captain's hat. A Cedar Point, it was, might not have been from Cedar Point, just like the Cedar Point captain's hat I had when I was, uh, I don't know, third grade, second grade. I thought it was the greatest thing. I got my captain's hat. He had his captain's hat. He's sitting there at this important meeting with a dead body decomposing and draining right next to them. 
Um, it's very sanitary. I'm, I'm just showing something here. And so Daryl Champlin is talking and all that. And so the captain says something to my dad. Well, of course, my dad looks very similar to Daryl Champlin, so he should be able to speak. And my dad said, I don't understand what you're saying. And the captain just laughed. It was the funniest thing in the world. He's a barbarian. He doesn't even know our language. He's so dumb. Okay, now, he didn't know his language. He was dumb. But here's a guy living in the jungle. His world is right there. He doesn't know. He doesn't know that it's healthier not to you know, have meetings within the proximity of a dead body with the fluids coming out. He doesn't, he doesn't know anything about the rest of the world, but he thinks somebody that doesn't know his language is dumb. Okay? He's provincial. He knows just a little bit, but he thinks there's not much that he doesn't know. He knows it all. Maybe one thing that he doesn't know. And yet, we can look at him and say, man, you haven't seen much at all. There's a lot more to know than what you know. And the truth is, with knowledge, even those of us that are not in a third world, in the bush of a third world country, we know a lot, but the more you know, the more you know that there's a lot more to know. Because, for one, you know, God is the author of all that, and he's infinite. But that principle that I could illustrate with the captain in the bush is true of us as believers. The more you mature, the more you realize how much further there is to mature. Listen, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I pretty much got it down. I I might have just a couple things to wrap up and then I'll be ready to go to heaven. Might as well. We wouldn't say it that way, but if we live our life just satisfied, yeah, I make a mistake here and there, but I'm 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 okay. You're you living in the sense of that you you've had enough prayer and enough church and enough teaching of the word of God and enough of the Bible and enough Christian fellowship that you're satisfied? You've got enough? If you're there, you're in a very dangerous condition. You've arrived at a sort of sanctification where you are as perfect as you care to be. You're as complete as you think you need to. And what that assumes is that you're as perfect as God cares for you to be. And we're never there. We need A godly discontentment. An awareness of the need to pursue, to follow after, to go toward a better condition is where all spiritual growth or progress starts. We get saved. We're like, oh yeah. Sometimes we get saved in a Christian home, like me. And it's like, uh. We need to be dissatisfied. We haven't got it all. Growth and progress starts with an awareness that we need to be in better condition. Spiritual growth starts out of a blessed discontent. 
a blessed dissatisfaction, a recognition that we're not what we ought to be. We really ought to be like Jesus. Oh, that we would be like Jesus. Let's pray.